Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Going to be speaking from a few places, but my main scripture is Genesis 1 26. Um, Genesis 1 26. Um, if you're not familiar with scripture, Genesis is the first book um, in scripture and talks about a lot of the um, a lot of the things that really make up humanity, make up the world. There's a lot of things that conceptually exist in the book of Genesis, which is great to see. Um, and particularly with the creation account as well, which I'm going to speak about. And see, this, and um, it's going to go up on the screens if you want to follow along with um, your Bibles. If you've got one like this, absolutely, it's great. Um, I commend you if you have something that's you know, tech savvy, you know, that's perfectly fine as well. But we're going to read um, a few verses and then we're going to get into this morning. How is everyone? Good. good? Everyone's good? Right, Genesis 1 and verse 26 in the New King James it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So just stop there. If you're afraid of creepy, crawly things, from beginning, the beginning, this wasn't so, right? So we have dominion over these things. And then it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray real quickly before we begin. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's, while there's a crazy world that we live in, that your word is unchanging. That your plan for us, your love for us, your original intention for us has not changed. And Lord, we welcome what you want to say to us, Lord, by your spirit. Ignite new faith in us, ignite new hope in us, Lord. And Lord, as we draw into your word, Lord, draw something out that we hadn't seen about ourselves before. Lord, we want to see you in a new light. And better than that, we want to see you work through us in any way that you see fit. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, I want to speak around the subject I've entitled this morning, Wretches and Kings. Wretches and Kings. This song was, um, well, this title is actually from uh, a Linkin Park song, actually. And uh, when when we're talking about the Born For More series, we're looking through all the different um, aspects of it. This, this, um, This title, I couldn't get away from it, this Wretches and Kings. And and um, if I want to give you a quick definition of what these things are, so a wretch is basically an unfortunate or unhappy person, or an informal way to say that is, or an informal um, definition is, despicable or contemptible person. But if you do etymology or the study of where words come from in history, there's a root word which actually means, it means banished. So that's what a wretch is. Keep that in your mind when we're going through this. And and the king is a ruler of a territory, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. So we're going to talk about wretches and kings this morning. And, uh, and I love how it says in kings, well, about kings, how it's, it's something that you inherit through right of birth. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things you can't choose about the conditions of your birth. 
You can't choose the time you were born. You can't choose the name you were given at birth. You can't choose your parents. You can't choose your family. There's things that you are born into, and then out of that, then you live um, with choices and other things that are available to you because of your right of birth. Um, I, I couldn't choose my parents who were here, um, for, um, for example. And I remember um, years ago, maybe you don't remember this, but I <laughs> so I thought about this quite recently, and uh, um, I was... I was probably about my teens, mid-teens, and um, if any of you know where the goals football pitches are, near Inverdee, sort of that sort of area. So um, I was playing there with some friends, and uh, um, I basically came home with, you know, like these, uh, they have, they're AstroTurf football pitches, yeah. So, um, so sometimes when you're on things like sand and things like AstroTurf, the, the stuff gets in your shoes. So I had the, all this stuff in my, um, in my football boot, and, and when I came home, I, I don't know why I did this or thought to do this, but... I was, in the, I was in the bathroom, and then I just sort of emptied this, these, like, these rubber sort of things um, just on, the, on one of the surfaces in the bathroom. didn't think anything of it. And then uh, hours go by, and then um, I hear a call from my mum, and then she calls me to the bathroom, just like, oh, what have I done? I forgot to clean them all. I'm so sorry. And then I go in, and uh, she's looking at this pile of stuff, and I'm like thinking, okay, just let her talk, and then they'll say, yes, okay, I'll clean it later on. And then... Uh, and then she says to me, she says to me, I did not think that you would ever do drugs. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, like that's, they're not drugs, mum. They're, they're the rubber things that you get on AstroTurf football pitches. And I was like, I found this so funny because my mum was getting worked up about something that was because she thought these rubber things were created for ingestion. <laughs> they were created to make the surface playable that you can play football on. But I was just like, my goodness, like, how <laughs> are these drugs? Like, uh, but then anyway, so I said, I'll clean it. They're not drugs. You had a laugh, and then we moved on with the day, right? <laughs> but, um, but I just find that funny how something had a purpose, and because somebody didn't know the purpose, a whole different conclusion was drawn. And it's the same with names as well. I had a conversation with somebody I used to work with. Um, his name was Benjamin. He's a design engineer. And, uh, and uh, we got on quite well. And uh, we just came to this random... I don't know how we sort of came to this discussion, but uh, I was talking to him about the, um, the, ori- the origin of his name. Um, so Benjamin is one of the sons of Isaac. And uh, the conditions of his birth, I was just telling him just off the cuff. And I was just saying to him, well, uh, do you know where Benjamin comes from? And he says, well, uh, no, he didn't. So I told him about you know, Rachel and her death. And then she, um, she named him a certain name because of the sorrow. Ben Oni, I think it was, which means son of my sorrow. And then um, Isaac renamed his son Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, son of my authority. And uh, so I just let him have that little tidbit. It's like, it has its basis in Hebrew and whatever. And then he said to me, you, you don't really believe in that creation stuff, do you? You don't be- really believe that God created the world. And so I said, okay, well, what do you believe? What do you, what do you think? How do you think the world is created? And, and he said, well, you know, Big Bang thing just came together. And now this, this exists, like the world that we live in. So, so I said, well, okay, so... Would you ever consider that this, the, the universe in all its, its mathematical precision from the concentration of oxygen in the air 
to be just right so we can actually breathe, live, and have life to the, the, the stars in, the, in the, the, the satrosphere and all that, and then why, where we are positioned strategically, that if we were any further or any closer to the sun, we wouldn't be able to have life as we know it. Then not even to mention the complexity and the intricacies of the human body, don't you think that something that intricate would have a designer? So him being a design engineer knows that whenever you design something, it has a purpose. Whenever you put something into play, there's always a purpose for why it was created. So we just left it there and had that thought. But then we look at our creation account in Genesis 1.26. And bear in mind this, that anything that's created, before it's created, there's an intention. Before there's creation, there's an intention. This table, this uh, called a posure table, this, this table is a table which is designed to put things on like drinks and it's designed to also be adjustable in height for, so you can use it sitting down or standing up. There's an intention before this is designed. The paper that I'm using here and that's in, in this um, Bible as well is, was designed in a way that it can actually receive words and things can be printed on it and stuck to it that people can read from. So there's, there's always a purpose for a design. Before something is created, there was a purpose. So back in Genesis 1.26, and this is our purpose. This is what God has said for us and what we were created for. It says here, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we were created for dominion. But what does this dominion mean? Dominion means that we are in the place of authority in that when we exercise our power, we are creating places where we can have life. We are creating places where we can take the raw elements of of the ground, of of our, our own talents, and make something that wasn't there before. So this is our mandate. We are created beings and created with a genius that we can go into any area of life and make it habitable, make it livable, make it something that reflects who we are in God, because God is a creator, so he's given us that genius of creation in ourselves. And this is what we are created for. We are created to go into these places, and it says here, in, um, I think it's in verse 28, and it says, be fruitful and multiply. That means in yourselves, in your humanity, Make families, make communities, make cities, make nations, make countries, and then go into the farthest reaches of the earth and populate it. This, that's what it means to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That means to use things like water, use things like, um, like the tree barks and everything, and make something that makes our lives beneficial, like makes our lives able to flourish. And we have this in society, and we know this intrinsically. There's... Um, I remember way back when I first got a smartphone, there was a, a game called Alchemy. I don't know if anyone remembers it. And uh, so basically, you start this game with um, these, I think it's earth, water, and fire or something. And then you combine these elements, and then out of that, you get different elements. And then you keep going and keep going until then, for some reason, you can get a chicken or, or whatever. And it's like, you're, you keep combining the stuff. And then, and then you're just, you, have, you start with three elements, and then I think the maximum's on like... 400 or something, just starting with these three elements. But it's quite, quite clever. 
Um, and then you have more recently Minecraft, where um, everyone's played it or knows somebody that plays it, like from the young to slightly older, just play it and spend hours just going into this made-up world with just like well, whatever is like some sort of hand tool or whatever it is, and then they're going into these caves and going into these places and exploring new lands to get these ores so they can go back to establish a civilization, to hopefully build electricity, to have a stove where they can make their food and, and all this sort of stuff. And that's just in the game. But this is what we are intrinsically. This is what God created us to do, that we are people who create culture, who build things, who, who have dominion. In other words, it's, there's, this, there's this authority that God has given man specifically, which is why we're not overrun by animals and beings far stronger than us physically. It's because we have this authority. So we have this authority to care. We have this authority to go into different lands and different places and spaces and make it habitable so people can flourish. If you would agree with me, that doesn't always happen in the world, does it? Where we can look in different areas of the world and we don't see flourishing. We could even look in different areas of our lives and not even see flourishing. And there's a reason for this. Because this is our image. This is what God created us to be. We have a will. We have intentions. We have words. We have the ability to create and think for ourselves. But we have a spiritual enemy. And we don't often think about our lives as this battleground. But the truth is, we have a God identity, but we also have a spiritual enemy. This spiritual enemy wants to separate us from our purpose. He wants to separate us from our purpose. And when we're separated from that, we live in distortion. Let me read in... um, I wasn't planning to read this, but I'll just go and read in Genesis 3. So basically, the overview of the story is that Adam and Eve were presented with a choice. They were told how to specifically govern what they were given to govern, which at this point was the Garden of Eden. And then Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes and speaks to him, speaks to Eve, actually. And then it says um, in verse... Um, I'll just say this really quickly, so you don't have to put this on the screen. It says um, here, the w- and the serpent said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the f- of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fr- of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you, shall not, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be opened, and your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there we have the first part of distortion, which then enters humanity. But then when Eve acted on it, that's when things changed. Now we have a world where it exists with God's purposes and design, And then you have personal preference. God has said, hey, like, there's all these trees you can have. You can have everything that I'm giving you, but there's one thing that you don't have. And somehow, even in this time, there's something in humanity, something about the devil that just wants to take our eyes off what we do have, all of what we do have, and focus on the things that we feel that we don't. So in this, in this place, he was saying, no, God is, God is hiding something from you. God is, God is saying that there's something you shouldn't have because he doesn't want you to be like him. 
But Genesis 1.26 says, let us create man in our image. God is saying, I want to create people like me. I want to create people that reflect me. I want to create people that can show my glory, that can have the attributes that I do. I, I can love, I can will, I can create. I am intelligent. I want my creation to live in this life and to multiply, to fill the earth. But then there's this thing that comes in, and this is our human choice. That we chose to operate outside of the intentions and intentionality that God had from the beginning. And because of that, it's distorted. Satan, let me just tell you, is like, this is not about you. Don't take this personally. Satan was cast out from heaven because Ezekiel 14 will tell us that he had these thoughts saying, I will ascend to the, like the most high. I will be this. I will be that. And God, like a flash of lightning, sent him to the earth. He can't touch God, but what he does do is try and mar his creation in the earth. So let me just say that. There is a spiritual battle. There is something that's going on that opposes you trying to live out your God-given identity. So in society, there's this, we can still create culture. We can still create things, but then without the divine purpose, there's a distortion in how we create it. So we go into the, this, um, what's known as the spheres of culture, um, which, are the, um, which is law, governance, media, faith, arts and family, education and economy. And we go into these areas, and then out of who we are, out of how we see the world, we then speak into these areas. So would you, would you agree that when you see things in law and the things that are passed, would you say that they are according to God's design? where you have laws that, I'm not going to name many specific ones, but basically ones that um, defame human life. The things that you read in the media that actually ostracize people groups. Things you see in education that are educating things which are even scientifically true, and they go against morality, they go against God's original design, and then they create confusion and distortion for, for young people, which then they, then they then have to live with the consequences of that decades later. There's... There's something that is wrong when we live out of this distortion. But can I tell you, we were born for more. We were born for more than our own identities being distorted. We were born for more than the, than, than the, the possibilities and who we say we are being less than what God says we are. We were created for dominion. But sometimes how we feel about ourselves, what we think about the world ends us living in distortion and in, in a distraught state where we are not happy with things or the way they are and we feel powerless. When we were given all power in this earth, we feel hopeless even though we have a hope that we're we go we can establish culture church we were born for more we were born for more we were born for more than living like like wretches unhappy with the status quo actually we were born to be kings royalty that wherever we go we can establish God's culture and with that we'll have human flourishing we'll have human we'll have humans being able to enjoy the identity and the gifts that we've all been given we have this. We are born for more. And, and there's something in society, there's an outcry for this, that, that even people that aren't Christians know that there's more, know that there is, there's more to be had in this life. And there's a guy um, called Mario Sa- um, Savio, who's, um, um, who's, who's an activist in the 60s. And this is the song I named this um, message after. He, he, there's a quote um, that he does in the start of the song. 
And the quote is this. It says he's um, petitioning for fellow students and, and, um, and he's also involved with like the free um, um, so like things like civil rights and votes for um, black Amer- African Americans in that time. And he says this. As a 21-year-old, he says this. There is a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the wheels, upon the gears, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. A 21-year-old who was sick of the... the, the um, the laws surrounding his, 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 his um, university was so sick that he had to speak up in front of, in front of cameras, in front of his whole student body. And he's saying, enough is enough. We are human beings. We are not to be treated like parts of a machine. We are not less than. We are more than. And I'm not going to stand for that at all. But can I tell you, that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. But later in that chapter, we read that when Adam and Eve sinned, when fear entered the cosmos, when shame entered the world, when sin came into the world, Jesus, God says this, he, 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 after he says the, um, the consequences for what happened, what he says then is the first promise of salvation. And he says that the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. In when man first rebelled, God went, started the process of redemption. Before we can ever even decide, hey, I'm going to go my own way, God already provided a way out. In Genesis, this is not even New Testament, this is Old Testament. And all the way through, there's a narrative of how Jesus wants to restore authority, relationship, union, and power to his people for because we, we were born for more. Jesus knew that he had to come into society, come into the world, come into creation in order to restore it and rebuild it to represent him and everything he called it to be. John 3.16, some of us know this well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For here it is, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Colossians 1, 21, 22 says this. Um, I'm going to read it from the Passion. Um, it says here, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your, your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on your behalf that, so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing, say nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. That says to me that there's something more. That if I'm in a position of, hey, I feel like a wretch, I feel unhappy with my life, Jesus comes in and he says a completely different confession. He doesn't see me as wretched. He sees me as royal. He sees me as someone who is restored, blameless, holy. This is how Jesus sees you and I. So whatever shame, whatever you feel, whatever heaviness is on you right now, there's an identity that is for you. There's an identity that was established for you before creation, before the world is even made. God said, hey, you are holy. You are blameless. I have given you the ability to create. 
create. I have given you a genius in your gift, in your, in your arts, in your music, in your, in your ability to plan. I've given you this because I have a plan for you. I have plans for you to prosper you, to grow you. And everything you do will produce something when you produce it through me. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. You were created to create. You were created not to be defeated, not to feel down, but rather you are built, you are made to be king's royalty in this land, saying wherever I feel like going, I can actually build culture there. I can build culture in my family. I can build culture in education. I can build culture in my workplace. I can build culture because that is a creative genius that God has given each and every one of us. Jesus came to redeem culture. He came into this culture. He took on that sin punishment, that, that the, 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 um, the consequences of the fall. He took it all on himself. And he died because that's what, required, what sin required. There was a debt that had to be paid. We couldn't pay it. So Jesus threw himself against the gears and the machines that entrap us and snare us and create the things that we don't like about this world. He threw himself on that machine and said, I will pay the price. I will take the place so that I can create a new humanity, fill them with my spirit and send them into the world to redeem it, to restore Eden, to build a community which reflects glory so all humankind could flourish. This is who you are. Jesus became a wretch so we can become kings. He became a wretch so we can become royalty and I don't mean to turn us into activists but rather when you see what Jesus has done in you when you know who Jesus is when you see the calling and the love that Jesus has for you there's something that activates you into action when God's Holy Spirit fills your heart you can't help but do something you can't help but speak to your friends you can't help but love your family you can't help but see people who are hurt and in need and say what can I do what can I bring there's something in me that that just has to speak to them, just has to, has to help them in their state of, of condition. And that is the heart of God on your life. Everyone has this. When I was 22, I received Jesus and I, I, got, a, I got an unquenchable passion for seeing, and this point is particularly young people who were living with less than the call of God in their life. I saw they had all the, all the opportunities and, and all the resource, but for some reason they were finding ways to live beneath. And it just ached my heart. It just burnt in me that I couldn't, I couldn't sit by and, and, and just let people think less of themselves. I had, to be, I had to be strong in that when I spoke to people, that I spoke to their God-given identities and their potentials. And there's something that's burned in me ever since, if you can't already imagine. But like this is something that is just burns in the heart of humanity. And that is when God touches your life, a part of the picture of what God wants to do in this earth gets done through you. You are not purposeless. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that you have no purpose. Other people will do the job for you. That somebody else has more of a calling and anointing than you do. 
That is a lie from the enemy. Let me tell you, you were created a king. You were created royal. You were created in his image. So anything God creates is not bad. It's actually good. And the fact that you are here together as a church means it is more than good. You are more than good. You are more than an overcomer for you are a king. You are a royal. You are somebody who has an imprint, the thumbprint of the image of God on your life. You are born for more. You are a king. And you're created to express this culture into wherever sphere of influence you're called into. I listed seven there, but there are many subsets of that that God is calling each and every one of us into. And we do this for how Jesus did it to us, through suffering love. Jesus on the cross set an example that we actually don't have to physically give our lives for anything because of sin or because of what's separated, because he's already done the work. What we do now is example this love, this agape love, this this selfless love, and love a nation back to life. One person at a time. (laughs) People sometimes think it has to be grand. I have to do what Mario Savio did and, and get into a stage and be broadcasting on the TV. No, no. If you love your family, you've created a unit which glorifies God. If you love your friends, you've created an example of selfless love. And in that, you are infusing God culture into your everyday. Like Laura said, it's about the little things. A little note or a little thank you, a little smile when, when all people see, especially if you live in a busy city where people just come and go and take, take away coffee and stuff where they're not used to human interaction, you just say, how are you, how are you doing? How long have you worked? You know, what do you study? You know, like what all these sort of things. And it's just the little things that infuse the culture of God into an otherwise, say, purposeless existence. You're giving purpose and honor and value when you love like God loved you. It's not huge, but it has a huge impact because you are expanding God's culture. That's what we're called to do. We are kings. We are royalty in this earth. And what we do is we create more of what we are through this thing called discipleship. It's reproducing our love, the love we have for God, into other people and into other places where we are called to influence. Mm-hmm. In Matthew 28, some of us um, know this well. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. This is what's known as the Great Commission. But really, it's actually a return to what we were created to do. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came up to them, this is his disciples, and says, All authority which is all power and absolute rule in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. With that, there's a promise that wherever you go, 
wherever you build culture, you're not going in alone. You're going in with the presence of God. You're going in, not on your own, you're going in with an army. When you're with God, you're actually with everyone who God is with. Let me just say that. So if I'm with God and Heidi's with God, where I go, the spirit that joins us in God actually goes with me. It's why your prayers for people going into missionaries are effective. You thought about that? You're praying and commanding the spiritual world around that situation scenario, and you're affecting it without actually being there. That's why John, um, Jesus says in John 4 that you will reap fruit that others, that you hadn't even sown for. Why? Because when one triumphs, all triumph. That's the reason why we can all have salvation. Because in um, 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus says, what well, Paul says about Jesus, he died, therefore all died. We all share. This is not just a you or me. This is a you and me. This is, a, this is the body of Christ. This is the kingdom of God. And wherever we're in the kingdom, we go as one body in one, like a one unit into this world to create a culture and loving it back to life, restoring life and restoring God's original intention. As one unit, we do this. But as the band comes and join me, we, there's a few caveats here that we have to understand that we do this by his Authority. Jesus said in the verse 18 chapter in Matthew 28, says, All authority has been given to me. That this isn't, this isn't about Chaz, this isn't about Laura, this isn't about Doug, this is about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. To be honest, that takes a weight off me because I, I don't have to do anything special, I just have to respond to the authority of Jesus. Everything is under Jesus' authority. When man fell, God, left, God lost no authority. But man lost authority. But in Jesus, it was reclaimed. In Jesus, it was all redeemed, all restored. So in Jesus, we can return back to that original creation. All authority is being given to Jesus. And in his authority, he's then authorizing us to go. He's go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations it says go not in your authority not in your power but in my name in my authority so to live in his authority first you need his anointing you need his anointing like in the old testament where kings were anointed for their duties and priests were anointed for that it's like a ceremony that, that happened with, with oil and that sort of thing. But there's that that happens to us. That there's anointing that comes on us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, he says, Greater works than these you will do because I go to the Father. I will send a helper for you. I will send someone to help you. This is his Holy Spirit. This is his Holy Spirit who doesn't just come on you. He dwells inside you. He empowers you. He loves through you. He speaks through you. There's things that he does that make us live supernatural lives. Outside the limits of our own frames, our own minds, our own thoughts, there's something that God produces through us by his Spirit. Acts 1 and verse 8 says, 
you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Saying that once you receive the Holy Spirit, you have received power. It's this is the power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the power that heals the sick. This is the power that opens blind eyes. This is also the power that led you into relationship with God. You have this power because you have God in you. You are anointed as God's vice regents in this earth. You are people of power because God has put his spirit in you when you received him. When you believed him, you now have the power of everlasting life. This is who you are. And with that, you're also appointed. That there's a specific area God is calling you to. There are families, there are peoples, there are actually lineages you are called to insert and infuse the culture of Christ into. Because you are royalty. Wherever you see God leading you, guiding you, loving through you, these are areas where you now have the authority to speak in God's behalf as his ambassadors. You go into a region, you go into a school, you go into a family, you go into a difficult relationship and infuse the love of God. And as God's ambassadors, this is our call, that wherever we see brokenness, wherever we see problems and pains and suffering that God did not design us for, he is, he's created a church, he's created a people, he's created a people who are empowered by him, anointed by him and appointed to go into these areas and say there's a better way. There is a Jesus who can save this situation. There is a Jesus that you can know. There is a Jesus that saved me, that that is possible to, to, to redeem everything that you're going through because he's already paid the penalty for that on the cross. There's a finished work. The victory has already been won. Now we are his people and we go into these areas and say, you are born for more. You are more than what you're going through. You are more than your birth circumstances. You are more than your limitations. You are more than your feelings. You are more than what people have thought about you because you are created by God. You have the thumbprint of God. You have the identity of Christ. You have the mind of Christ and you can rise above these things which are wretched in this world and say, no, no, I'm a king. I'm a royal person that has authority to change a circumstance with my prayers, with my words, with my love, with my resource. I am this because this is how God made me. Jesus has made you redeemed, holy, and blameless. You're created kings and queens with the authority to carry his spirit, his love, his community, heart, and kingdom mind into the world, where it's Aberdeen or beyond. You have authority wherever you go to expand his kingdom culture.